This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. for taking the time to join us on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you that are joining us and listening for the very first time. Well, after that long series, my longest series on EQ, uh, as is my custom, we had a little bit of segue right after that. And I told you, and I've been talking about how important I feel it is to use my venue to help other voices get out here not necessarily voices that nobody hears but just voices period somebody's other than mine for god's sake (laughs) a lot of other people have great things to say and i want to bring those people to you as often as i can so i want to go on a little run here in sharing and bringing some people in the ux community to the show so folks around the world are able to hear them and then you can sharpen your saw with the things that they are sharing so this week i have with me one of my former professors <laughs> when I was at Kent State University, someone who I treasure immensely, uh, someone who had a big impact on my life. He never heard me say this, so I can give him his flowers now, but he had a tremendous impact on my life and continues to, because we have a we have a relationship, we engage, we interact from time to time, and I just always get great downloads. I always leave invigorated. So without further ado, let me bring to you uh, Ben Woods. And as always is the case on this show, I let people introduce themselves. I will let him tell you about him. And as Debbie Levitt always says, let the world know why we should care. Take it away, Ben. Great. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Darren. Um, I'm not sure I can uh, follow that introduction. So uh, that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you. That's very, uh, very kind words. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm Ben Woods. Uh, I'm a user experience consultant, and I'm the owner of a company called Covalent Studio. Uh, we specialize in uh, research, design, digital transformation, uh, consulting, uh, and also offshore software development. Uh, worked with uh, lots of uh startups as well as uh, very large companies uh, like Dell, Pfizer, et cetera. Mm. Um, I've actually been working in the digital space since 99. And I would say maybe a bona fide uh, UX practitioner since uh, uh, we'll say 06, 07 ish uh, thereabouts. But um, I I think the, uh, as Debbie says, who am I and why should you listen to me? I'm not sure why anybody should listen to me, but I will tell you (laughs) that, uh, my experience is very broad. I've worked with lots of industries. Uh, I've changed my career many times, uh, starting as a graphic designer, uh, going into UX, going into uh, higher education, uh, and now uh, doing what I'm doing now. So that's who I am. <laughs> that is fantastic, fantastic. I remember there was a book, right? You had a book that you did once. I vaguely remember that. Uh 
I wrote the introduction for Mark Majors' book. Um, there is a book that actually, uh, I did not write it, but I do have a credit on it. I was the designer for a book way back uh, when. Okay. So yes, okay. if you if you do a search <laughs> on Amazon for D. Ben Woods, I believe I may have one or two uh, book uh, credits. Uh, Mark's okay. book, as well as another book on, it was called Corporate Lunacy. It was a self-published book by uh, a okay. retired uh, executive from Akron. Okay. Okay. Great. I, just, I remember there was a book somewhere, so I, I wanted to make sure that folks. Uh, oh, there's a, there's there's a book somewhere in me, but I haven't written it yet. <laughs> I want to make sure people know about that. So go in and dig into it because you do have a lot of fantastic things to say. We have this standard script that we follow, something that we always leave, uh, but it, it is a uh, a baseline for us. So I'm going to jump in to some of these because you talked about a couple things already, but. How did you actually get into UX? You mentioned you were a graphic designer. How did you actually get into UX? What was that light bulb moment for you and where, where did your shift come from? Well, I mean, I would say really the story about how I got here and how I got into UX is, is really uh, the story about how fortunate I've been to have some really great um, teachers uh, in my life uh, from my youth up to even today. Uh, who really encouraged my explorations and, and, and really ultimately gave me good advice. And, and that's really, I think, a lot of what drives me is having the opportunity to help uh, people in their uh, journeys. So um, I was interested in technology, science, and art really from a very early age, mm-hmm. right? So, um, I mean, all the way back in seventh grade, I was uh, I was given extra time at lunch to work in the computer lab and uh. try to design a video <laughs> game, which... I mean, I guess that would have probably been in the uh, late 80s, early, yeah, late 80s. And, uh, yeah, you know, you can imagine the discipline that a, a seventh grader has in developing a video game. It did not last long, but I was given the opportunity. Um, you know, and then in high school, I developed, uh, I actually programmed uh, an application for the old, uh, I guess they still make them, the TI-82 calculators. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I wrote an open source program that uh, spread throughout the school like wildfire. Uh, I believe we called it beta, and it was uh, basically a way for students to quickly calculate and accurately calculate various chemistry formulas. Um, Now, what's really interesting about that was, um, you know, I was in algebra two. We were required to use these graphing calculators. I was in chemistry. I had a hard time with the with the uh, with the formulas, and I realized, you know, what I could program this calculator to do the work for me. Like I I understood conceptually how the formulas worked, Mm -hmm. but when it came down to, you know pencil and paper, it was hard for me to do. So I said, you know what, I'm going to use this technology to make me a better student and, and, and build this program. Now, what's funny about that experience is uh, some people said, well, that's cheating. And uh, I was kind of like, well, is it? So ultimately I took it to the teacher and I said, hey, um, I built this. Can I use it? And uh, to his credit, he said, well, if you know enough to program this, then you understand <laughs> The concepts. So, yeah. yes, you can use it. And then, of course, like I said, from there, it spread throughout the school. So, wow. uh, you know, I, I've always really been interested in technology and, and how it helps people and, and and such. And so, you know, getting back to how I got here, um, you know, one of the things I tried to sort out when I was in high school um, was what career could sustain uh, my appetite for creativity, mm-hmm. uh, technology, uh, and, and, and really just keep me engaged. I love learning. I'm a curious person. Uh, I'd always done really well in school. And so I, I really, I really had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do. And by the way, I think it's crazy 
even today that we expect 17 year olds to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Right. So, and, 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 and that's part of the reason why my career has changed so much is because people change, but yes. uh, you know, I, I, I really could have gone into anything. Initially I thought about going into engineering. Uh, mm-hmm. I gave serious thought into uh, civil engineering, mechanical engineering, or possibly uh, materials engineering. Um, but I, you know, again, gets back to the idea of having really great teachers, uh, throughout my life, uh, who've taken, you know, an interest and encouraged me. Uh, I had a fantastic art teacher, uh, Larry Spurgeon, when I was uh, a student, um, and he introduced me to graphic design. Um, and so after, um, studying with him, uh, in, in high school, uh, I decided to pursue my BFA uh, at the Visual Communication Design Program at Kent State, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was it was great. And you know, it was very. Uh, I was there at a pivotal time in the late '90s, and again, I had uh, another uh, great teacher, professor named uh, Jerry Callback, who, uh, at the time, uh, that's a whole story. He he encouraged me in his way to uh, pursue uh, web design. Uh, and, and so I was very fortunate, uh, within our, uh, our cohort of students to have uh, been exposed really early on to web. Uh, again, this was like 97, 98. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really kind of was the springboard that got me into, uh, digital design and web design. And, 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 and that's really when it kind of clicked for me. It was like, this is what yep. I was supposed to do It's <laughs> it's creative it's technical. It keeps both sides of my brain, uh, firing. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, uh, where it went. So, um, started working professionally in 99, um, uh, and, and, and really in the graphic design field, uh, worked for a couple of ad agencies and design firms. And I would say right around, uh, 2003, 2004, I realized, and, and this is sad. It was only like three, four years after graduation. I realized the graphic design industry, that I loved was changing and not for the better. Um, there was so much disruption from uh, wow. DIY, uh, you know, every, basically uh, the graphic design industry was becoming less professional, less qualified at the same time. It was the kind of thing where anybody, you know, with a couple thousand dollars could get uh, a Mac and some Adobe software and call themselves a graphic designer degree training or not. And, and the other thing too, is for a number of companies, that's good enough. Uh, and so I kind of, uh, <laughs> so I, I was really sound very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to come back to this. <laughs> we're we're going to come back to this topic. Uh, so, so, um, so I realized that, um, the, 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 the environments I was working in, uh, small design firms and agencies, those were, hurting their, the billables were low. They were not making the money they could make. Uh, and by the way, they couldn't pay the salary that, mm-hmm. um, you know, was, was a good competitive salary. And so, uh, I changed, I went to, a uh, a multinational, uh, manufacturing firm, Eaton corporation worked there. And, and really that's when things really changed. And, and, and I, again, I'd say my career has been a story of change. Um, yeah, yeah. so went there, had an opportunity to, uh, pursue my graduate degree. Um, it's, you know, it's great whenever you have an employer who will pay for your degrees. Um, and they did. So I was very fortunate to have that. And, uh, and I was trying to figure out what should I pursue? Should I get an MBA or should I do something else? And ultimately what I decided to do was, uh, pursue the master of science program at Kent state. Um, 
and uh, we called it information architecture knowledge management at the time. Right, right. It's UX. It's the same courses. Um, and and I and then what I decided was that was a better complement to my undergraduate degree um, than the MBA because I said you know what I need something that is a, a contrast to my undergrad. I don't want to be a designer with an MBA. Of course, then a couple of years later, I ended up getting an MBA too. So, <laughs> but uh, so that's really I would say kind of how I I got here is uh, you know it was just through iteration and and learning and and seeing opportunities and and, and really being very fortunate to have the ability to um, to 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 take advantage of those opportunities. That is fantastic. I think a lot of people need to hear that too because I hear a lot of people. I think they put too much pressure on themselves trying to figure out what to do instead of taking a step back and sometimes it'll come to you in a sense, things you, you sort of whittle it out as you go, but it's not, it's not always clear. The direction is not always very clear. And, and uh, it sounds to me also like your story, similar to a lot of other people where you sort of happen into UX in a sense, uh, would you yeah. say it, it's, <clears throat> I mean, today people can say, I want to go into UX back then you didn't. It's just things just sort of happen and the dominoes fall in such a way. And the next thing you know, you're looking up and you're doing this stuff. Yeah. It, it's yeah, sort of, sort of uh, interesting. hundred percent. Yeah. So from an acumen standpoint, though, and I'm going right down the standard, uh, people have mm -hmm. heard these before. How did you develop what you feel is your current level of expertise? There's always a story mm -hmm. associated with how we, you know, we ended up here, but how did you actually get good at it? What, what were the things that happened that sort of triggered the direction or maybe some certain experiences on certain projects that caused you, you said you're curious. And I know mm -hmm. I, I call that, I actually, in my model of EQ, I factor curiosity into it. And I think that that's a major factor. If somebody's going to excel at this discipline, curiosity is a big part. So what, what was it that happened for Ben that helped to build that, the, all that, that skill set that helped you to be confident and, and, and very uh, um, steadfast? so to speak. I, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that it really comes down to, again, curiosity. So, I mean, just as I was really interested in uh, painting when I was younger and engineering and drawing and, and, and such, um, just the, the willingness to learn new things. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for, for a period, uh, a few years back, I was doing uh, a lot of hacking with Arduino and a little bit with Raspberry Pi. And uh, <laughs> just as recently as uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, and, uh, actually playing around with some uh, eye tracking uh, equipment and hacking it to see if there are ways that we could uh, use it to uh, manipulate information. And so, you know, it comes down to just trying new things, uh, iterating on what you're learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's really, I think how I've kind of developed this, you know, I, I would say the the challenge or the counter to that is, uh, and I've gotten this uh, feedback from people before is we can't figure out exactly what, box to put you in, you know, like, and I literally had a, a sit down, uh, not sit down, but it was a mentoring meeting years ago with uh, the uh, chief uh, marketing officer at Eaton Corporation when I was there. And uh, we were talking, he said, well, what to do with Ben? Cause you don't really fit in our standard <laughs> roles. And I was like, well, you know, now 10 years ago, that probably was uh, more of a problem. I think more companies now are much more accepting of yeah. different types of experience. Mm -hmm. And they realize that having different experiences 
uh, are complementary to each other. Um, yes. I think, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, old school companies, they kind of say, well, you have to have done the job for 20 years before we can give you the job. And, uh, <laughs> and that just doesn't work. So, yeah. Um, so, so again, I think it's just, um, you know, learning uh, different things, things that are not uh, directly in front of you, but trying different things. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. In all of these travels and everything that you've done and uh, bouncing around to, to doing different, get engaging, I should say, in different types of activities, when, especially when it comes to UX, because there are several places where people can land. At one time, we used to do everything. Nowadays, mm-hmm. a lot of people are specialists. What's your fondest memory? That, that thing that when you think about UX, that, that the, the big warm fuzzies that you get when you have this, you think of back on a project or, or uh, could it be something groundbreaking that caused a paradigm shift with you? What, what's your, your fondest memory as a UX professional? I mean, it's tough to pick one because I've had so many. Give me more. I'll take more. There's, <laughs> I mean, I would say I've been very, again, I've been very fortunate, I think, to, to get into this uh, profession. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really allowed me to see the world and, and learn about industries that I may never have uh, thought to learn about. I mean, as a result of user experience, I've learned a lot about financial services. I've learned a lot about medic medicine. Um, I'm not a doctor obviously, but, uh, but a lot about medical services, healthcare delivery, manufacturing, um, and even the startup community. Um, so, I mean, I've learned a lot about different industries. Um, I've also been able to visit places in the world that I, mm-hmm. you know, if you had talked to the 17 year old version of me who grew up in Canton, <laughs> Ohio and said, Hey, you know, you're going to end up having chances to visit, you know, Eastern Europe, India, Puerto Rico, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and such, I'd say, yeah, you're, you're kidding. That's, I'm never <laughs> going to do that. I mean, you're talking to a guy who took his first airplane trip when he was 23 mm. uh, uh, to go to his, uh, to, after he got married for, for our honeymoon. So that was the first time I actually got onto uh, an airliner. And, and now decades later, uh, I, I'm not even sure how many flight, how many times I've been on a plane. It's, you know, I mean, you, you know, I think at a certain point, that's just kind of what happened. So, I mean, yeah. I've been very fortunate to, to have those opportunities and meet different people and, and, and encounter different cultures. So, um, you know, and that's, I, I love it. Um, but I mean, the other really uh, great thing is um, it, it's especially rewarding to see former uh, students and colleagues uh, do really well. You're yeah. one you mentioned uh, that uh, you were a, a past student of mine and, uh, but uh, great to see you doing well. Um, I love, you know, having colleagues who, um, you know, obviously students who are, you know, in executive positions with great companies. Uh, yeah. It's great to see that they're doing well. Um, Felicia McDonald is, uh, is another yep. example. Yep. Uh, you, we talked about uh, uh, before and uh, she, um, you know, she's, you know, she actually had her first UX role uh, when uh, with me at Eaton. Yep. And uh, we brought her on as a contractor. We were not able to hold on to her for very long because she got uh, another job. <laughs> but uh, but but she's doing great now. She's managing a team of of uh, designers at Sherwin Williams, mm-hmm. um, and she's uh, I would say she's really uh, growing into a, a leader in the field. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's you know it just makes me so happy to see uh, people uh, doing well. And 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 it is a little not a little, but it's 
it's fulfilling to think that I may have had a little part of that. Maybe I gave a little <laughs> nudge. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. What is the best decision you've ever made that comes to <laughs> mind as a, as a UX professional? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, going into UX was the best decision for me. I mean, it really was. I mean, That's everything's fair. everything since then. It, it was it's it's uh, it's been great. So yeah, I mean, everything goes back to going into UX, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't be happier with the decision to do that. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, likewise. I can think of a bunch of different things in my life, but yeah, it, it was a good decision because I I was about to go the direction of instructional design. I was about to mm-hmm. go and get a master's in, in education from Boise state. Okay. And I, I tried to get an information architecture gig, didn't get it. And it floored me. And, and I wondered what could I do better? Cause I really love this. That took two steps back. Let me go and look back and see what I really want to do here. And when I assessed everything, I had already been doing freelance web design in the evenings and I reassessed everything. I said, you know what? I really enjoy this. This information architecture work. That's all I saw it as at the time in the interaction design work. I love this. You know what? See you, Boise State. I'm out. <laughs> I have no idea what awaits me, but I'm going in this direction. I felt like somebody walking into a Stargate or something, <laughs> a, a, a sci-fi reference out there. So, yeah, it was a good decision. Biggest regret. Oh, biggest regret. Uh, yeah, you know, regrets is kind of a funny word. I'm not sure that I would say I have a whole lot of regrets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are certainly things that I could have done better. I've certainly made mistakes, uh, you know, along the way. I'm not going to tell you what they were. Uh, I, <laughs> right. I kind of like to maintain the illusion that I'm perfect. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually fair. It's fair. <laughs> Um, no, really, I, I mean, I, I guess um, maybe uh, I would say things I could have done better. I would say probably early, early on in my career, I probably lacked a lot of emotional intelligence. Um, I was probably uh, a bit overconfident. Um, I think that comes with being, uh, you know, in your early 20s, working for uh, one of the top design firms in town. Um, so I was probably uh, a bit cocky, uh, a bit uh, off-putting, uh, maybe even. Uh, and, and also probably a bit judgmental. Um, and, and that's unfortunate because whenever you um, behave that way, it does make it hard to have good relations with people. It makes it hard to uh, make friends. It makes, you know, makes it hard to, to relate with people. Uh, and so I think that's probably the one thing I would say is early on in, in my career and, and in my life, really, I, I kind of probably should have uh, been a little bit more intentional about being friendlier and, and nice to people. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's hard to say, but I, mean, I, I do think it's true. I think it's just generally um, it's important to, uh, you know, treat people well, treat people with respect, um, be humble. Um, you know, you don't need to tell people how great you are. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I, I think that's probably one of, probably my uh, biggest regrets is it's just, you know, low emotional intelligence quotient uh, early on. <laughs> I think that that one's common too. I think everybody early in the career felt sure. the same way. Yeah. Biggest challenge. Um, I think the biggest challenge from a UX perspective has been, and, and continues to be uh, honestly, uh, 
we spend an inordinate amount of time communicating the value of UX, even to this day. Um, I actually was just, I actually just gave a presentation on communicating the value of UX a couple of days ago. And um, it, it is funny. It's kind of like, I mean, we're, we're having the same discussions. Yeah. Um, I'm having the same discussions back in November that I had 10 years ago uh, where we're talking about, okay, well, this is why we're doing things. Uh, and this is what the effects are. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's tough. Cause it's like, I, I would rather spend much more of my time doing the work uh, and, and managing the work and, and getting results uh, than, you know, putting together PowerPoint presentations, you know, citing McKinsey and Boston group and, and, and DMI and talking about, uh, you know, uh, $1 invested in UX yields a hundred dollars and, and such. And, yeah. and, uh, and then, and then, and then trying to relate it specifically to, uh, to a business outcome, uh, for example, you know, like, well, you know, if we make this improvement, then it's going to yield X millions of dollars of, of additional revenue. And we can project that. Um, so, I mean, I do think that is uh, one of the challenges, uh, that, that, I, that I continue to face. And I think a lot of UX practitioners uh, face if they're, if they're at the level where they are presenting uh, recommendations and findings and, and really trying to influence business outcomes. Uh, I think that continues to happen. And, you know, because there's a lot of people who really are just kind of stuck uh, in, in their roles uh, with their blinders on. Right. Yep, so I mean, yep. if they're in finance, they know finance and, and they, if they know engineering, they know engineering um, and they don't necessarily think about UX uh, and, and design and such. So um, that's the big challenge. Yep. That's a good point. And yeah, I think some people are going to, that's going to resonate with a lot of folks <laughs> when they hear that. This is the part of the segment where I think this is where we tend to like really spread our wings and go all over the place with the next question. And I think this is going to go back to a couple of notes we had earlier, something mm-hmm, we talked mm-hmm. about before we began recording. What observations about the discipline today? stand out to you that's a big that's a big net (laughs) yeah we're really getting the we're really getting the meat and potatoes here aren't we this is uh how much time do you have Uh, (laughs) go for it so uh, i uh yeah i might say some uh some things uh but uh yeah i actually got a really similar question uh on a panel a couple days ago and and i told them i said i have a number of concerns um i'm going to limit a Limit them to two since there are other people here. Uh, but uh, but uh, I'm concerned about a, a number of things uh, with the, the the UX profession as it is today and as we look to the future. And it's and, and I, I will say, although I have concerns, I, it's 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 a mixed bag. I mean, the number one thing is dilution. Uh, I think there are too many dilution and confusion yes, um, in yes. the marketplace. Um, we are seeing people are talking about design thinking. And, you know, and, and, and they're confusing design thinking with user experience uh, and, and, and such. And then we have different frameworks that people are working with. Um, and so I'm seeing a lot of people who are talking about design thinking and, and they're not thinking about UX. And I mean, there, there's, there's a firm in, uh, in Northeast Ohio, I won't get more specific than that, <laughs> who has a, a UX team and they also have design thinkers on that team. And I'm, I'm kind of sitting there scratching my head. I'm like, well, so what the design thinking leads are supposed to tell the UX practitioners how to do their job. That doesn't make sense because design thinkers, at least in this area, um, 
aren't doing research. They're just running workshops. They're just running yep. workshops. They're just talking about thinking. Imagine you're the user. No, go talk to a user. <laughs> right. Go watch them. You know, half of the, a lot of the UX problems we have today are because people don't do a very good job of imagining they're, they're, they're the user. Yep. So why would we continue to perpetuate this? Now, I'm not saying that design thinking is 100% bad. I think that a lot of applications of it are bad um, because people don't know how to, how to do it appropriately. So design thinking is, is, is a big one. Um, you know, incidentally, that company that I, I mentioned, I mean, gosh, they're, they, they have, they have a turnover rate. I mean, I think the average tenure for that team is like 18 months. I mean, they mm -hmm. are just cycle. They are just cycling through talent. It's, it's crazy. So, um, and, 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 and I would say it's because they don't know what they're doing at, at a leadership level. They don't know, are, are they a design thinking shop? Are they a UX shop? What are they doing? Um, it's, it's funny. They, you know, I, I talked with one of their executives when I was working with them a couple of years ago. They said, we just don't do digital well. It's like, well, okay. I mean, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good first step. So, you know, what, what are we going to do about that? <laughs> I mean, right. do we just, right. do we just say, okay, hope Google buys us. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, it was just, it was just shocking. It was like, so disheartening, like this, this, uh, this company, like, they said, oh, we just don't do, we just, we just don't do digital well. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not a very tall guy. I mean, you know, that's like me saying, well, I'm, I'm just never going to have a very good vertical jump. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm five, eight. So that's true. But there are other things that I can affect. So, right. um, so yeah, design thinking, uh, malaise in, in some organizations. Um, the other thing I would mention is scrum, um, at agile. And, you know, wow. years ago, years ago, um, we started talking about Agile and Scrum. And, and I think there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of benefit and a lot of validity to it. And I still think there is, by the way. But I think, but I think, um, and, and one of the things about Agile design methods and, and, and Scrum is the acceptance of iteration and change as you move through a project, mm -hmm. that's great. Because if you're going with waterfall uh, methods, uh, it's very restrictive in terms of how, how you can actually deliver the end result. I remember when I was at a company, uh, they had their corporate uh, uh, product or a program, uh, uh, project management system. I'm trying to say it without saying their name. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's why I'm yeah. stumbling over my words. Uh, but um, they had their corporate method for uh, managing products and it was all our projects and it was all waterfall based. And it was, it was, it was actually kind of dumb because it's like, well, okay, this makes sense if you're trying to design a transmission to go into a truck. Like I know what the end result is going to be of, of putting together that transition. I know what the result, if, if I apply it to IT, I know what the result is of moving from one version of an email server to another. I get that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the next version of the company's flagship website is going to be at the beginning of the project. Cause we have to go through the research. We have to go through iteration. Uh, we have to actually do the work of finding our way to figure out what that is. Yep. Um, and so when we started to encounter agile and, and scrum, um, it was kind of like, that's great. We should adopt that. 
my concern with Agile and Scrum as it's being applied today, however, is less of an acceptance of iteration and more of a focus on, okay, we got we got to get we got to get through these stories. We got to get through the stories in the next you know in the two week sprint, and we're doing less learning and we're doing less documentation. Uh, uh, we're doing less understanding of what we are at, what is the actual problem we're trying yep. to solve. Yep. And what I'm seeing more and more is this is relegating UX practitioners from being strategic partners and, uh, and giving insights and more and more reducing them to basically being uh, a technician who is applying a design system uh, to an interface, you know, <laughs> so more and more, it's kind of like, well, we well don't said. like that color. Well, okay. Well, I guess I'll have to go back to the design system and see what it says. Um, and so that's my concern with how a number of companies are using Scrum and Agile today. Is it, it's it's not it's not about iteration. It's about just getting through that backlog. And you know, really, I want more more people to step back and say, should we even have this backlog? Right. You know, like right. what are we what are we doing here? We don't exist just to get on a treadmill and crank out mockups. <laughs> Yeah, I call that UX so, hamster work now. Exactly. And yeah. then, uh, you know, I guess the other big, big thing that concerns me, um, and this is a big one uh, in the UX profession, it's what I call the lemon problem. Um, are you familiar with the lemon problem? No, uh, no. So not, not the lemon problem. Okay. So the lemon problem is it's actually, uh, I believe it was a paper that was written some time ago. It, it's it's from economics and really what it refers to is what we call information asymmetry in a market, uh, which ultimately leads to a failure of a market. And the example uh, that was given is the used car, uh, the used car in this, uh, market. Yeah. So there is a, there is a information in asymmetry in that market. The dealer knows how good a used car is, right? They know if it's, if it's garbage, uh, but they, and, and they know what's wrong with it. They either fixed it or they didn't fix it, and they put a they put a, a sticker on it. Buyers, when they go to a used car lot, they don't know what the dealer knows, mm -hmm. and so as a result, uh, they discount the price of that uh, vehicle. Dealer says it's worth five thousand dollars. The 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 customer says, okay, you're asking five thousand, but I don't know, you know, what what kind of crap is going on with this thing. I'll give you three thousand. And so that is the lemon problem because people are trying to avoid lemons. And so as a result, this leads to market uh, failures where, you know, prices are not as high as, as producers want them to be, and they aren't as low as, as customers want to be. And I see the same thing happening uh, in the UX industry, right? Um, there is a demand for talent. Mm -hmm. There is, uh, and, and, and there is no shortage of people who will call themselves a UX <laughs> practitioner. There is no shortage of, uh, of, of uh, workshops, uh, boot camps, uh, private colleges. Uh, there's no shortage of places who will give you a certificate that says, okay, you did your four week uh, boot camp, go out and make six figures. Uh, <laughs> you know, there is no shortage of influencers uh, and, and, and you can find them, uh, influencers on YouTube who will make a video saying, I just got a, a, a six-figure job as a UX yep. practitioner, and I don't even have a degree. Yep. And it's kind of like, okay, well, are you really a UX professional? Really? Um, <laughs> um, and so what I think is happening is there's such a demand for UX talent, and so many people are rushing in because they see 
UX and they think, they think it's easy. Yep. It's easy to do this and you can make lots of money. And so what we have is a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, flooding the market. Uh, on the other side is employers. A lot of companies don't really know what they're hiring for. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see it in job descriptions, right? When they're asking for somebody to have like a, a beautiful portfolio, it's like, well, this is a UX role, not a, <laughs> not a, not an art director role. Yes, so, yes, um, yes. Let's get some applause. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and also the, uh, and the unicorn uh, <laughs> phenomena. So, so we, we, we have bad job descriptions. We have a uh, bad uh, talent. And, and, and so my concern is that ultimately we're going to end up seeing uh, substitution or, or, or lower salaries for UX practitioners. And oh, in wow. fact, I, I, yeah, I can see, I mean, I mean, you, if you could, you can look, I mean, there are companies who are working on artificial intelligence to replace designers. Now, yeah. will they ever replace all designers? I don't think so because uh, artificial intelligence is based on rules um, and, and past performance and trying to project uh uh, into the future. And then mm-hmm. the truth is people are irrational and, and hard to predict. And so that's where I think UX practitioners as humans <laughs> are, are, have an edge, Yep. but, um, but yeah, I, I'm very concerned about the, the job market for UX uh, going forward. And in, in um, saying that you make me think about your earlier comment about when you were talking about what happened with graphic design and, and well, I think that's a good segue there. Yeah, well, and, and and I would say that um, you see it in a lot of in a lot of things too. It's not yeah. just bad jobs and and, and unqualified talent. Um, you know, I mentioned you know just a few minutes ago the that the organization that is just cycling through talent. I mean, you know, fifteen years ago there were a handful of UX jobs in Cleveland. Now, just this one company, they must have thirty UX practitioners, and so wow. there's such demand and and, and and so many people who will go in uh, and and again, just cycle through these jobs. I think that um, we need certification. I think ultimately we need uh, what we I would call, uh, it's, it's not my term, I think it's actually borrowed from maybe uh, dietitians or, or other areas. I think we need certification or permissive licensure um, yeah. by yeah. third parties. You know, I mean, it's it's not good enough in my mind to have a Nielsen Norman group certification oh, or an yeah. HFI certification. Um, you know, that's self-certification. I mean, I, you know what, I can make a, a sticker that says Ben Wood certified and give it to you if you, if you pay me a couple hundred <laughs> bucks, but, but unless it's accredited by a third party, right. it's meaningless. Right. Right. Um, and so I, I believe we need certification. I mean, I gave a talk on about this, uh, a couple of years ago at, uh, uh, UXPA and, uh, uh, for usability day. And, you know, the, the, there are so many industries that have some degree of certification and licensure yep. and we don't, and I don't understand why we refuse to do this. Um, it, I mean, if you want to bake, if you want to braid hair in the state of Ohio, you need to have a license. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's, and that's, a, that's, uh, I believe it's actually a health code uh, violation if you don't, but I mean, there's also other certifications. I, I, I actually spoke when I was doing my research on this, uh, I spoke with a woman who uh, she actually is, uh, she's a park, she works in the parking industry. There are certified parking oh professionals goodness. 
parking professional. Now that's a shock. <laughs> now, 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 when she explained it, it, it made sense because it's not just you know taking money and giving tickets. It's it's also about uh, doing the planning and and, and logistics. Mm-hmm. And there is, I, I get that. Yeah, so, yeah. but still, you see, part. I mean, cake decorators. <laughs> They're certified cake decorators, but we don't have certification for UX practitioners. I mean, it's it's crazy, and so. It kind of concerns me. And again, I'm seeing echoes of what happened in the graphic design industry 20 years ago, where mm-hmm. there's no certification, there are no standards, there are no rules. Um, and, and and so, and, and I'm also starting to see it in the culture. We're not talking about how we are leading organizations with design. We're not talking about the value that design is. We're starting to get into, and it concerns me that we're starting to have culture uh, arguments more than, than, than actual business uh, arguments. And so we're talking about things that don't really move the profession forward. And, and, and I would say that whenever we start talking about squishy things, and, and this is going to, this is going to be probably <laughs> controversial, but when we start getting into social issues as a profession, um, it concerns me because it makes it very easy for people who maybe disagree with us politically to just dismiss us altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that, 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 uh, that we, we, you know, that, that people should not have opinions. What I'm saying is a profession should not be labeled as liberal or conservative right. or, or anything of that sort. Right. We, we are not here to, to have that discussion. We're here to advance our organizations with UX and design. Yep. And so, um, and, and, and then the thing is, whenever we start having those discussions about society and culture, we stop talking about the profession. We stop talking about the craft. We stop talking about the value. And, 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 and when that happens, expertise goes out, out the window. Yep. And then that just opens the door for unqualified charlatans to come in, you know, and, and I'm not going to name any names, but you, you can find them who are big voices <laughs> who have never done anything. You know, who, who, you know, I mean, I mean, who have no qualification. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I said I was going to maybe say some things. I may have just done it. Um, but, yeah. um, you know, I, the, what I would recommend um, a book I recently uh, recently finished. Um, I've read it once or twice. Uh, I believe it's called The End of uh, the Death of Expertise by Tom Nichols. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Have you have you read it? No, I think um, I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, I strongly, strongly recommend it. Uh, and he really talks about it. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of blame to go around, by the way. Um, it's uh, it's in, you know, in, in, in the workplace, it's in higher education. Uh, there's a lot of blame to go around that's uh, that's really contributing to the end of expertise uh, in, in our society. Yeah. Uh, and the knock-on effects are just, you know, they never, they're never ending, unfortunately. <laughs> when you say that, you remind me of some of the, uh, you've probably seen me get into some of these discussions with people where they, when we talk about standard and we talk about quality mm-hmm. and we talk about building acumen and being excellent at your craft and, and having pride about that and being ethical about it. And then people will follow it up by saying, well, you're a gatekeeper. And, and the first time that ever happened to me, someone said, do you know what a gatekeeper is? And I'm going, that's the first time I ever heard the term used in, in this way. And, and I said, I'm thinking, do I know what a gatekeeper is? And, and the person who asked me the question, they were just upset that I was talking about information architecture. 
And I was talking about the importance of that to the discipline. And I was talking about all the different types of UX research that we can do, all these things that we can do to help drive value, advocating for the users and things of that nature. And the person's response to me was not, where can I learn these things? And what are the options? The person was, do you know what a gatekeeper is? That that's that was their response. And, and so I start digging into it a little bit to the extent there's, there's an upcoming show where I'm going to break down and share all my research about gatekeeping because what I found, two critical things. One is that gatekeeping is not what these people say. Nobody's trying to keep anybody out of the discipline. We're trying to help people to enter in the right way. We're trying to help you come through the front door and stop climbing in the back window. <laughs> Which is, you know, that, that that's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to stop anybody. We're trying to 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 empower people, and then we get called gatekeepers, and it's really quality advocacy. It's not well. It, it gets, it, again, it's back to: is this a profession or is it not? Uh, is this a profession of consequence Bingo. or not? Bingo. And if it is, then yes, we have to have quality standards. And you know, if they want to call it a gatekeeper, fine, call it a gatekeeper. I call it making sure that. You know, making sure that that we're making sure that we're actually doing something that we actually yes. have a profession. Um, by the way, you know, this also gets gets back to that idea of certification and, and licensure. Yeah. One of the reasons one of the reasons that industries have certification and licensure is to protect buyers, yes. right? So so that so that companies know they are hiring somebody uh, yep. of quality. Um, you know, there are a lot of people. This is probably not the best example. There are a lot of people, and, and by the way, it can't just be at the schools. It can't just be uh, done at boot camps and workshops and such. It has to be accredited by a third party. Yep. Um, because you know what? Here's the thing. There are a lot of people who go to law school, get a law degree and can't pass the bar exam. And I think, we, and, 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 and it's, and that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Like we need to have some kind of way to say, okay, it's, it's great that you got a degree, but you can't actually do the work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it also, and by the way, it holds higher education to, to account and all education yes. to account. Absolutely. I've had students and this is uh, some people wouldn't like me saying this, but I know that you've had the same experience. I'm about to mention that there are, I've had students that you could not pay me using that, that, that uh, figure of speech. You couldn't pay me to work with. I knew that there was no passion. I knew that there was no real desire. I mean, it's happening today. I hear 300,000 people graduate from the Google from the Google program, and then I hear these stories, like tons of stories about the experiences within the programs, especially the one I'm going to call yeah. out here in particular, where somebody will turn in a blank document with a note smack dab in the middle of it saying, I didn't do the work. I just want to get the certificate. Will you please give me a passing grade? So now we've got this oversaturation in entry for entry level UXers that's even the, the where it's been made muddier because you got this another whole slew of people they just want something I said on LinkedIn yesterday there are people they they want the UX job but they don't want to do the UX work and that hurts all of us because at the very top of this is a C-suite person some kind of decision maker who's deciding whether or not to to fund the UX department at a given organization or not, and they come in contact with these people, and then their lack of, of, of interest, their lack of ethics, then gets basically uh, imputed onto all of us, and that's why I'm so loud, because I want people to, let's do this thing right. Again, not trying to keep you out, and I found out that definition of gatekeeping that they're using when they're referring to people 
uh, like us that are talking like that, it's actually the urban definition of gatekeeping. It's not the the actual, say, the Merriam-Webster's definition of gatekeeping or the professional definition. It's an urban, it's a slang definition, which I get it, but nobody's trying to do that. Then the funny thing is, we get accused of being gatekeepers, but who's really being kept out? Is, is it the, because there's always going to be less entry-level jobs. That's just the way it goes. Seniors have trouble getting jobs. Seniors, people who are, who are longtime vets in UX are not getting these director and manager jobs <laughs> and principal jobs. They're going to people. I, I, come, I come across people all the time. Yeah, I've been a lead UXer on a project. And you find you look at their work very closely. They don't demonstrate anything that has to do with none of the characteristics of a lead UXer. Their portfolio doesn't say anything. And I hate to talk about portfolios, but I'll get on that another time. They have, they'll say that they have 10 years of experience, 15 years of experience, and you look closely and they have like one or two. And I've even met people with one or two who will say that they're lead. I mean, how are you lead? You, you just started working there and it's like mom and pa's peanut factory. It's not, you know, anything that's enterprise oriented and it, it, it's just amazing to me, but there, there's issues and it has to be, it has to be addressed. I, I hope we arrive at some type of a, certification uh, uh, path at some point in time. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. tough, tough going. Well, and, and I was just looking it up. Yeah. That, that book, it is uh, the death of expertise uh, by Tom Nichols. I'm, I'm going to buy it. Fantastic book. I'm going to buy yeah, it when you, we're done. You, you have to read it uh, or listen to it. It is on audible as well. Um, but uh, fantastic book. And I think really critical for, for, for our profession. Um, but yeah, I mean, Again, it's kind of like a, we need certification and and gatekeeping. You know what? Here's the thing: it, it's kind of like it's kind of like if you go to a dentist, right? I mean, yes. yeah, okay. They go to they, they they went to they went to school. They passed. Um, they still have to get board certified. Yep. Uh, you know. But by the way, I don't want to go to a dentist that wasn't board certified. You know, the gatekeeper <laughs> is supposed. We, yes. You don't want those people putting their <laughs> instruments in your mouth. So yeah. if they can't be qualified. So, yep. so it, it, it is important. Um, portfolios. I mean, since you mentioned it, uh, I'll, 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 let's go down that rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound effects, uh, but, <laughs> but portfolios, um, you know, it, it is, um, I have uh, many thoughts about portfolios. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. one of the things, one of the challenges I think with portfolios, uh, especially for a UX practitioner is, um, I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is who is looking at this portfolio? Bingo, yes. Um, I, I was, I interviewed for a job several years ago, a couple years ago. Um, and uh, I I don't even remember exactly what it was, but it, it was, it was, it was, it was not a great interview process, but basically at the end of it, they're like, okay, well, can you send in your portfolio? I'm like, what do you, you mean? Send in my portfolio. What wouldn't we like talk about the portfolio yes. and talk about the process? Uh, uh, oh uh, no, I, I, no, the, the, the hiring manager is really busy. Just send it in. I'm like, okay, who's the hiring manager again? Um, what's his, what's their role? Oh, he's in a, he's, he's the head engineer. Oh boy. I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to have the head engineer review the portfolio for a UX position. Yep. By the way, first UX position you've ever had for your company. This is not, a, this is, this is not good. 
this is yep. a beauty contest. Yep. And I said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Because quite honestly, most of UX, and this is why I tell people, most of UX, most of user experience is not even visual. So exactly. why are we talking about visual portfolios? Exactly. Why are we doing this? <laughs> I mean, are we just checking the box? Are we just uh, doing what we're familiar with? Um, and, and I think that's largely the case. So yeah, portfolios, I mean, I think they're challenging. Never, ever, ever send in your portfolio if you can't talk about it. Um, and, and and by the way, make sure you know who's evaluating it. Chances yeah. are they're less qualified than an entry-level UX practitioner. So why yes. would you let them, <laughs> why would you let them evaluate your work? So. Yeah. I just said something else. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just remind me. You remind me of a conversation I had with some people recently, where er, er, there was a lot of entry level UX people in this conversation, and and, and we were just provide. We just having a discussion about some general things, and but some kind of way portfolios came up, and it kept bringing up the issue of portfolios and referring to it as currency, and and, and how I, I want to be able to get that interview. So my portfolio has got to be. I said. Uh, resumes you get you get interviews with resumes um you want to present your portfolio and then you want to talk about it as you just said but i said there's a lot of people have no idea how to review a ux portfolio on top of the fact that portfolios came into play with ux what i've seen because people always confuse us with vi with the visual world yeah and they have portfolios so why don't we get a portfolio from this ux person and then they they look at it with the same state of, of mind and then judging it the same way. But I said, but a proper UX portfolio has an, I, I use the term ugly. It has a lot of ugly stuff in it. It's, it's beneath the presentation layer. And, and which usually when you show that to people that are outside of our discipline, they, they want to see the aesthetics. They want to see the finished product. They don't want to see the site maps and wireframes and all this other kind of stuff that you did. So how are you going to show them something and you don't get to talk about the process and tell the story behind it? Uh, it it's, it's just amazing. But, uh, and that the show we're going to do is called the problem with portfolios yes. <laughs> to yes. break these things well, down. Yeah. Well, and, and, and incidentally, I mean, it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why whenever I was uh, on full-time faculty at Kent state, uh, there was always a, a capstone uh, project or a capstone mm -hmm. experience. And um, I'm not exactly sure what it is now, but at the time, students were, uh, graduate students were given the option to do a portfolio or to do a, a project. Yep. I always, almost always encourage students to do a project. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 because, yeah, because I think it's important to do a really meaty project where you manage the research, you do the problem definition, you do the, 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 rec the design recommendations and, and solution uh, development, solution design. Um, and and I, it just, for me, it's, it's well encapsulated and it's also ownable. Nobody else is going to have the same final project that you will have. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in fact, even to this day, I still refer to my, uh, my project, uh, in, in, in my work because it was a meaty, very significant piece of, of, of research. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's pretty good. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but portfolios, I mean, it, it, it's useful at least for communicating what you've done, but if all you're going to show are really pretty wireframes, um, you know, that's, that's not interesting because right. you're just competing with graphic designers. I mean, that said, do I have a PDF of, you know, of my work? Yes, I do. And it's mostly pictures of whiteboard uh, sketches, 
journey <laughs> maps. It's ugly because yeah. UX is more about the process and it's more about understanding people than it is about that that final screen that you that you see, right? It's not like we just take out the good UX sauce and just pour it on and then we'll go. <laughs> you know, one of the examples, and I said this before, you know, I most of UX is not visual. One of the examples I give to people very frequently is, and to demonstrate this is ATMs, right? So one of the big problems with ATMs, we've had them for what, 40 or 50 years. Big problem with ATMs, people forget their ATM cards, right? So they leave their ATM cards in there. And as a result, they don't have their ATM card. Uh, it's a, you know, creates security risk, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get a call from the bank and they say, you left your, your bank card here, come get it. But, um, you know, how do we actually address that? Well, an engineer, hypothetically, in my scenario that I, I'm going with, would say, well, what we ought to do is make the ATM beep really loudly to remind people to take their ATM card before they leave. Okay, well, for 40 years, ATMs have done that, and it hasn't worked. People still <laughs> left their ATM cards in the, in the machine. Yeah. A visual designer might say, oh, we need a better notification on the screen. Maybe we change the color. Maybe we make the buttons, maybe make the text bigger, right? And again, we've had those and people still leave their ATM cards in ATM machines. Mm -hmm. You know what actually what actually stops it? And I encountered this a couple years ago and it just blew my mind. Yeah, I know where you're going, I think. You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> it wasn't visual. It wasn't, it nope. was not audio. What they did is, they changed the process. They changed yep. the actual interaction because yep. they said, we need to get inside <laughs> the customer's head. Why are people leaving their ATM cards in the machine? Because they're not thinking about their ATM cards. They're thinking about, if they're doing a cash withdrawal, they're thinking about getting their sweaty little hands on that cash. They get the cash and then they run away. Yeah. And then and then the ATM card comes out. And, and I, I saw this at, at an ATM. They changed up the process. So the card comes out first. Yep. And you can't get the cash till you get the card. Yep. That's not visual. That's not, you can't see that in a portfolio. You can't see that in a visual uh, portfolio. All, at all cognition. Yes. It's all about <laughs> understanding people. And, and I think that's, you know, we're, we're kind of at this inflection point with UX where, awesome. yeah, there's more, there are more, there's so much demand, but again, it's misplaced oftentimes. And, it is. and I think a lot of it has to do with, we don't really have a good vocabulary and a good way of telling that story that's about understanding people and, and how they interact with technology and tools. And that's really what I'm all about is how do we, how do we actually make technology and make the tools that are supposed to make our lives better? Mm -hmm. How do we do that? And it's not to making it prettier, it's making it work better for people based on how people think and behave. Yeah, you made me think about it. Uh, I'm teaching at another university now mm -hmm. uh, where I get to design my courses. And what a novel idea. I have five, five, uh, man, somebody's going to get angry at me for this, but you know, what else is new? Uh, I have five instructional design certifications and I finally get to design courses. What a novel idea. So, but it's, I, I love taking students through mental model exercises, task analysis exercises yes. and building mental models. If we're going to be user-centered, let's be user-centered because if the, if what we produce is not user-centered, everybody suffers. The discipline suffers, you suffer, your team suffers, everybody, the users suffer. So it just, just makes me think about that. We got to get inside the head of the user. That's where we live. I always quote a line from a movie right. 
uh, one of my favorite movies because a mix of sci- classic sci-fi and martial arts. Uh, the movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale, and they're like the emotion police because they feel that emotions are the the problem of society. It all stems back from emotions, and so they give out this this medication that suppresses emotions. And so if they can feel, if someone is feeling, as they call it, if they're starting to become emotionally driven, the police will come and get you. The tetragrammaton will come and get you. And they have a line in the movie that says, it's my job to know what you're thinking. And when I saw that movie, I forgot I was looking at a movie and I went into UX mode. Because to me, that's where true UX lives. It's our job to be inside the head of the users, to anticipate to understand, and then to produce things that help to operate in line with where everybody is thinking and how they're working. And when we do that, everybody wins. And, and, and when we say to, to help users, by the way, this is another one of the big themes from my career and that I talk about. We aren't doing this because, well, I mean, we might be nice people, but we're not doing this because we're nice people and we're just, you know, <laughs> we just want to make things nice. Uh, we're, we do this because it is a competitive tool for business outcomes. Yep. That's why we do UX because we are working towards results, um, and so that's why I mean again it's it's why the I think the profession is so critical. Yes, absolutely, especially on the medical side. As I shift to uh, another, what might end up being our closing uh, question here, <clears throat> talking uh, with one of our uh, former guests, Dr. Giles, uh, over in over in the UK, who is starting up uh, a UX uh, practice, and the the aspect of his work is referred to as clinical UX just looking at UX in the medical arena. I mean, yeah. where everything you do is, it becomes life and death. Literally. I mean, I, I try to, to inspire people to understand the, the gravity of the discipline. And so different parts of UX, automotive world, the OEM world, and there's the, the folks who are actually doing the building of things. And then you've got the IVR folks. And you mentioned before we start recording today, we talked about UX and financial services. Feel free to take it away and just what, what, what's on your mind with regard to UX and financial services? Well, I mean, I think that uh, UX has a really big uh, role to play in, in financial services. I mean, I, I actually, um, I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts where we were talking about design challenges uh, as part of a hiring process. And I, I did one recently. Um, and I think that this was uh, a good one. Now I've, I've, I've done uh, design challenges where it's kind of like, well, design our homepage. I was like, well, pay me. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think that um, whenever you ask a, a, a UX practitioner to go through a design challenge, um, as part of the hiring process, if you can ask them to do something in an adjacent field, um, and, and the intent is to see how they think and how they work, that yeah. makes sense. Yes. But asking them to produce some kind of uh, work product that is directly applicable is, is not not good. Grossly um, financial services. Yeah, it, well, <laughs> not good equals unethical, yes. So, but um, uh. I, I mean, I think, I think that UX really has to do a lot lot uh, and, and does have a big role in, in, in financial literacy. We have some real problems in, in the United States. Um, you know, student loans, uh, student loan debt is just uh, uh, crushing a lot of people. You know, I'm an advocate. It's funny. I mean, when I was in business school, um, one of the things I looked at was, should we have some kind of a, 
uh, a nutritional facts label for degrees, you know, like, okay, that's fine. You, you can get that degree in English, but do you know, and you're going to, you're going to go to a prestigious school for it, but do you know what you're actually going to make with that, that, with that degree? And the answer is probably not, not a lot. Um, Generally, um, you know, I, I think that we need to do a better job of educating people of the the cost of their decisions, especially in higher education, uh, especially in, you know, in, in, when we talk about student loans. And so I think that if we can kind of help people to understand what what are the long term outcomes of of this decision? The other is retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Americans largely self fund their retirement or they're relying on Social Security, uh, which uh, uh, might be uh, challenged uh, in a couple of decades uh, or or less, but uh, but we'll see. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, I think we need to do a much better job of helping people to understand um, how much should they be putting away uh, yes. for retirement, and 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 how do we actually project how much money you're going to have uh, in, in retirement. And those are just two areas. I mean, there are so many things. Uh, healthcare, I mean, healthcare is, is funny. We're talking about financial services, but so much of healthcare ultimately in the United States comes down to money. Uh, you know, we spend more money on healthcare per capita than any other uh, nation in the world. And I'm not sure that we're getting better uh, outcomes for it. In fact, um, I I would reckon that we certainly are not. Um, yeah. So what are the what are the uh, actual costs? This is actually another project that we worked on when I was in business school. Was how can we improve outcomes through financial instruments in the healthcare industry? And and one of the things we looked at was um, we realized that uh, I, I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, but it's a it's a very large percentage. Most of the healthcare dollars uh, spent in the United States are spent in the last I'm going to say six months uh, of life. And, and unfortunately, it's because people spend so much that, that to avoid dying <laughs> that they'll spend almost anything uh, <laughs> at the end of their lives. But they don't necessarily take the steps early on, you know, eating healthy, exercise, yeah. you know, et cetera. Um, and, and so are there financial instruments that we could design that would encourage better outcomes uh, in, in the health space? And I think there are. And, and I think and I think that it's uh, financial services companies that are probably best positioned to do that or, or, uh, forward looking, uh, healthcare providers, uh, that are out there. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So this, this has been dynamite. We are already a good hour in here. <laughs> so we're good. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, last question. Very last question. What okay. advice do you have for up and comers in the discipline of UX? Uh, I think I'll, I'll expand on it. I, I, I'll say a couple of things. I mean, I guess what I would say is, um, you know, don't let, don't let, don't let bad situations linger. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you are in a bad, uh, job, don't, don't be, don't be too patient, right? If you're in a toxic environment, <laughs> leave that leave. Yeah. Just, just leave Just go to another job. Um, it is not, it's not worth it to, uh, suffer through your days if you were in a, in a bad environment. Likewise, mm-hmm. if you end up in a position where you have people on your team and maybe they're just a bad egg or, or a poor performer, or maybe they just have a bad attitude, let them go. Um, and then when you, and, and I'm the kind of person, when I make a decision, 
the, the, the distance between decision and action is pretty short. So whenever you have a problem, <laughs> take care of the problem. Yes. When you have a problem and you've identified it, fix it. Yep. It doesn't make sense to just let things linger. Um, you know, um, smile, be nice. Um, you know, it's important to make sure that you're having fun and, uh, and that you're enjoying what you're doing. Uh, be curious. Um, I mean, I have students and, and people whose portfolios I've reviewed over the years who always ask me, what's the, what's the number one thing that I can do to be a good, uh, UX professional. And I'd say, uh, be curious, be, ask why, why do things, why are things the way they are? And why do people do things that, that, that they, that they do. And despite all the challenges, I mean, we've talked about a lot, a lot of challenges and a lot of things that, that, that need to be adjusted and, and fixed in UX. I'm still very bullish on um, the utility and the need uh, for UX in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, because, you know, the fact is people who use our systems are irrational. People who design systems are also irrational. And so we need to have people or UX practitioners who come in and, and reduce that friction between people and their tools. Yes. You know, I'll give you an example just from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, had a, we had a family member who had a COVID scare, right? Mm. Uh, woke up Sunday morning, you know, didn't sleep at all, uh, just, just felt terrible, and he wanted to get a COVID test. And I'm not even going to talk about how hard it is to get a COVID test, but uh, went online and uh, scheduled a test with a uh, a large national uh, uh, pharmacy Mm -hmm. uh, in his town. Uh, Went to the pharmacy at his uh, assigned time, four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, got there, and pharmacy was closed. So they weren't (laughs) doing any tests. I'm like, "Well, well, then why did you let him book the appointment right right like this <laughs> this is a major problem and i'm sure he's not the only person this has happened to and so mm-hmm. you know and, and now some people might say well that's qa and yes to a certain degree it is but we we also as ux practitioners need to kind of help uh, our companies and help our organizations to to foresee and forecast those sorts of problems and, and avoid that sort of thing um yeah. So, I mean, I'm very uh, bullish about uh, the future for UX. Um, I'm glad I'm doing it. Uh, I can't think of another profession I would want to do uh, at this point. Um, you know, uh, there are challenges, but there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of need. And what we really need are people who are passionate about it, who are curious about it, mm-hmm. and, and who really care about, we need people who care about doing good work more yes. than they care about uh, getting money. yes sir yeah so that is it well that that's the end of the list phenomenal discussion i i I absolutely love this i went into student mode here a lot just let you go and i I didn't i didn't say a lot at certain segments i'm just (laughs) taking it in and i I know people are going to really really appreciate this and again it's it's important i i repeat what i said earlier it's really important for people to hear voices there's a lot of voices in the UX world today, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's too bad that more people don't have filters because they just—I call it baby bird syndrome. They 
their eyes wide shut and mouth wide open, as I like to describe it, like a baby bird is being fed by mama bird, trusting that mama bird is going to drop something good in there. But there's a lot of people dropping things in there and and it's not a good thing. I I try to help and what I do in this podcast, help people to develop those filters. Uh, and I want to bring people on the show that are voices that you need to hear and that voices that I'm hoping you listen to it again, again, and again, because there's some phenomenal takeaways here and things that folks can use to build themselves up. So thank you for joining me today, D. Ben Woods. Thank you, <laughs> thank Darren. Thank you for helping to share your voice and your sentiments for the U.S. community at large. Uh, and we're going to wrap up here, folks. So thank you, those of you, for listening in on today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, share the podcast with your friends out there. Get the word out. And we will see you again next week. So it's time to sign off here, folks. This is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.